Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc soap and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. Good morning, folks. Good to see each of you on the screen here as we join together. So let's take a minute and stretch a moment. I guess I'm a creature of habit. Pastor Brennan started this way back, so I'm going to just follow the tradition of stretching and uh, lifting our hands to worship. So good to be with you, and good that we can open God's Word and to allow the Holy Spirit to give us any fresh insights we need today, and I, they may be different for each of us. So let's take a minute. Uh, let's all pray uh, that the Lord would open our hearts to receive what He wants to give. So, Father, we thank you. Uh, you. You have not lost your voice over the centuries, uh, but you still want to speak to your children. Uh, you still want to give us guidance and encouragement and insight. And, Father, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you, Holy Spirit. You're the one that breathes life into it, makes it come off the page. Uh, so we're asking today, Father, that you would speak to each one of us and that you would highlight uh, in each of our lives the part of the scripture we need to hear uh, in a fresh way and to apply. So, Father, we thank you. We come with an expectant heart to meet you. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, we are in First Chronicles chapter 21. Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the princes of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba, even to Dan, bring me word that I may know their number. And Joab said, may the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why does my Lord seek this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the number of the census of all the people to David. And all Israel were 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And Judah was 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not number Levi and Benjamin among them. For the king's command was abhorrent to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing. So he struck Israel. And David said to God, I've sinned greatly in that I have done this thing. But now, please take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. And the Lord spoke to God, David's seer, saying, go and speak to David, saying, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Take for yourself either three years of famine or three months to be swept away before your foes while the sword of your enemy overtakes you, or else three days 
of the sword of the Lord, even pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now, therefore, consider what answer I shall return to him who sent me. And David said again, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel. 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and was sorry over the calamity and said to the destroying angel, it's enough. Now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the fleshing floor of Arna, the Jebusite. Then David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel, the Lord, standing between earth and heaven with his drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. And David and the elders covered with sackcloth fell on their faces. And David said to God, is it not I who commanded to count the people? Indeed, I am the one who sinned and done very wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? O oh Lord, my God, please let thy hand be against me and my father's household, but not against thy people, that they should be plagued. Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David, that David should go up and build an altar to the Lord on the fleshing floor of Orna the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of God, which he spoke in the name of the Lord. Now Orna turned back and saw the angel and his Four sons who were with him hid themselves, and Orna was fleshing wheat. And as David came to Orna, Orna looked and saw David and went out from the threshing floor and prostrated himself before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Orna, give me the site of this fleshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord for the full price you gave it to me that the plague may be restrained from the people. And Orna said to David, take it for yourself. Let my Lord the king do what is good in his sight. See, I'll give you oxen for burnt offerings and the fleshing sledges for wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I'll give it all. But King David said to Orna, no, but I will surely buy it for the full price for I will not take what is yours for the Lord or for the burnt offering, which cost me nothing. So David gave Orna 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. Then David built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and pedos offerings. And he called the Lord and he answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. And the Lord commanded the angel and he put his sword back in its sheath. At that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the fleshing floor of Orna, the Jebusite, he offered sacrifice there. For the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses had made in the wilderness, and the altar burnt offering were in the high place at Gibeon at that time. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was terrified by the sword of the angel of the Lord. Amen. Okay, First uh, Chronicles 21. Uh, as I'm looking at this, I, I came up with three points that struck me. One, that Satan seeks to tempt us to do wrong. Not just the folks here in the Bible, 
but he seeks to tempt you and I as well. A second point uh, is the absolute importance that we trust the Lord all the time and that we lean on him. And the third point uh, is there's going to be consequences when we sin. That's just the way it is. What we sow, ultimately, we're going to reap. So those are the three concepts, and uh, we'll try to unpack them as we look through this chapter. First, uh, let's look at the idea of 21.1. Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So I want to take us some time to look at Satan. Uh, he is not just some funny character, uh, you know, that we see, you know, maybe Halloween, maybe you saw uh people dressed up as a devil, or we, we've seen it here and there, you know, little man with red suit, you know, has some horns coming out, uh, has a tail coming in the back, has a pitchfork, and people laugh, they, they say, make fun of us, ah, the devil's just a figment of your imagination. Well, bottom line, biblically, no, that's not true. The devil is a living personality. Just be clear on that. Uh, there may be some liberal theologians that say, no, that's the nah, that's just you know something made up. No, the devil is real. So I'm going to give you some verses today. If you have a pen as we go through the study, it might be helpful if you want to look them up in more detail. So first, we're told uh, things about him by two prophecies about him in the Old Testament. And I'm going to read these. You probably don't have time to, to look these up, uh, but just mark them down. So the first one uh, is in Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 15. Ezekiel 28, 12 to 15. And here's a prophecy about who he is. You have this, this is referring to Satan. You have the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you on the day that you were created. You were, here it is, the anointed cherub who covers. Okay, he's a special, he is the highest of all the angels, okay? You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I place you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways, okay, uh, from the day you were created. We know biblically uh, that Satan was the leading angel next to the Trinity. He was there to worship God. And it says here, you were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created until, until unrighteousness was found in you. Okay. Now, what's the unrighteousness? So if you go back and look at Isaiah chapter 14 and verses 12 to 15, here is the issue with the devil. And it says this, Isaiah 14, 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, star of the morning, son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth. Okay? Satan was literally kicked out of heaven because of his rebellion. You'll see what that's about in a minute. You have weakened the nations. And here's the 
thing in Satan that got him in major trouble. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I'll rise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And then God says, nevertheless, you will be thrust down to shield to the recesses of the pit. So Satan, who was the highest angel, didn't want to just be an angel under God. He wanted to be like God. He rebelled, and we know a host of angels rebelled with him, who became later demons. And Satan was cast down, and it said in Eden, where? Uh, and he went after Adam and Eve. So we know biblically that Satan hates he hates God with everything in him because he literally was kicked out of heaven because of his rebellion. Satan hates God, but he can't touch God because God's all money. So Satan will do the next best thing in his mind. If he can't hurt God, then he's going to try to hurt what God has created. That's humankind. Uh, we saw that back uh, in the Garden of Eden. If you look at the opening chapters of Genesis, we see Satan comes and attacks Adam and Eve. He tempts them. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve give in to temptation. Uh, but Satan was back there right in the beginning, trying to mess up the works and mess up God's plan. Uh, and by the way, Satan is not just there back then wiping out Adam and Eve. Guess what? He's after each and every one of us. Okay? Uh the Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking to devour whoever he can. And we are on his spotlight. Um, basically, uh, when it says the word Satan, Satan means adversary. So we are in a war, every single one of us. And we have an adversary, somebody that's trying to take us out, and we better be aware of that. So what is Satan's game plan? Uh, very clearly, uh, in John 10.10, 10, we hear this. The thief, Satan, the adversary, comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. That is his game plan for your life and for my life. Number one, he will do everything in his power to steal God's blessings upon you. And he'll try to steal the effectiveness of God shining through you to touch and change the world. So he comes to steal. Uh, he comes also to destroy. Uh, and it's almost like uh, termites in wood. He loves to destroy. And look at the world, how messed up we are at this point, destroying ourselves with so many things, uh, whether it's shooting bullets at somebody, uh, whether it's destroying with the sexuality issue, uh, whether it's the drug issue, whatever. Satan is having a field day in the world trying to destroy, to eat away. And his ultimate objective is not just to steal uh, and destroy, but it says to kill. So if he can if he can get you to die prematurely, he'd love it. And I believe he's the one that's behind the suicides that we hear that again are increasing in our nation around the world. So that's what Satan's after, to steal, kill, and destroy. And we know that he has schemes to pull this off. 
Here's a verse you might want to look at, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. 2 Corinthians 2, 11, it says this, that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Paul says, basically, we shouldn't be, a, we need to be aware of the enemy. We need to know the enemy's tactics. We need to be aware of the way he tries to knock us down, because then we'll be better prepared to win the battle when we're in the middle of it. So what are indeed the schemes of the enemy? And from what I can see, they're spelled out pretty clearly here. Uh, they're found in 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, and look at verse 16. Again, there's not enough time for you to flip around, but uh, you might want to jot these down and look at it in more detail. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So, that's it. Uh, so, Satan works in a, in a number of ways to get us. The lust of the flesh, I would think primarily in our culture, that's sexual temptation. And it's all over the place, whether you're watching a movie, whether you're looking at signs that are up there on the road as you're riding by, whether you're at the internet, uh, just the, the plague of pornography across the world, um, whatever. We, we just know it's very clear that Satan will try to get us to use a beautiful thing, our sexuality, and distort it and mess up our lives. So he's after the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. He comes to you and says, hey, the more stuff you have, the happier you're going to be. And it's a lot of baloney. You know, get a bigger home get a brand new car, go out and get all this stuff, and then you're going to be happy. But but at the bottom line, we know that it just, it's emptiness. Get all this stuff, you become a millionaire. How many millions? It isn't going to fulfill the hole in our hearts. But Satan makes us try to buy into the lust of the eyes. And then the boastful pride of life. He just tries to get us wrapped up in me. Me, 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 I, 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 I. And we can get inflated and, in a sense, determined to do our own thing, which gets us really in a mess down the road. So Satan's schemes, again, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And there were three other things, I think, as I look at his temptation in any life. Uh, there's three Ds, I think, that he uses to try to take us down. Number one, he tries to plant doubts in our mind. Doubts. And I think he's really good at that when you're in the hard times and you're going through the ringer and you're in pain. And I I know this has happened to me more times than I can number over many years that he'll say, well, God isn't very good, is he? Look at what you're going through. Why is he letting you go through this problem? Why do you have to go through this turmoil, this physical pain, this mental pain, this battle, whatever it is, you know? How can you say God loves you and he's good when he lets you go through, in a sense, some hellish kind of experiences? So Satan is always there to drop doubts in. I think another biggie, see if you haven't encountered this, discouragement. Satan seeks to discourage us, to get us down, uh, to, to, to say, you know, your dreams are never going to happen. No, nah, they're never going to happen. And, you know, all your dreams, ugh, they're just smoke in the in the sky. And he tries to 
discourages, particularly when we're looking forward to something. He tries to discourage us when we pray about a situation and it doesn't turn out the way we think it should turn out. And he comes against God and says, well, huh, does God really answer prayer? Well, look, you prayed for this situation and guess what? It went the opposite direction. So Satan comes at us with doubts and discouragement. And the other one, he comes at it with seeking to have us disobey the Lord. And that's why God, David, in the mess he got in, instead of obeying the Lord, David disobeyed the Lord. And we're going to see he gave into temptation. And we're going to see at the third point that got him in trouble with consequences. So there is some good news <clears throat> that even though we're tempted, we don't necessarily have to give into it. God's given us, by his grace, the ability in his strength to overcome temptation. Here's another verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says this. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. He knows where we're at. He knows how much we can handle. And he'll never let a trial in our lives so big that we're going to be wiped out of. But again, we have to be alert for that temptation, and we need to lean on the Lord to get over that temptation. And as we're wrapping up this section, you might ask yourself, well, why does God permit us to be tempted and tested? Well, what's the deal? What's God trying to get at? Uh, and I believe trials and temptations, they knock at the door of our lives because they reveal to us hidden sins that we're not aware of, okay? Uh, <clears throat> if you've ever had an MRI, you go in and they put you through this machine that makes all kind of noise and whatever. But the point of it is at the end, it's supposed to show a picture uh, inside of like what's going on in here. Is there a problem here? Is there this? Is there that? And I believe if God did a spiritual MRI of any of us on here, there would be spots here, there, and whatever. We're not aware of them, okay? But God sees what's inside of us, and he knows that these things are in us, and he also knows that these things are a hindrance for us, and they get in a way of an intimate relationship and fellowship with him. So God, because he loves us, allows trials and temptations to be be able to bring into the surface what he knows already is there, but we don't. Uh, let me give you an illustration of that. Uh, so if you know the story of Peter, Peter, he loves the Lord, no doubt about that. But Peter sometimes gets full of Peter. And toward the end of Jesus' life, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has gone through the ringer. And then he says this, this is Matthew 26, verse 31. And Jesus said to the disciples, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it's written, I'll strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. Now, 
in verse 33, listen to Peter. Peter jumps in on that statement really quickly, and he says this. But Peter answered and said to the Lord, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Peter says, these other disciples, the other disciples, they may jump out, but I'm not. Nope, Lord, I will not. Mm -mm. And then Jesus says to Peter, truly I say to you that this very night before a cock crows, you shall deny me three times. And Peter said to the Lord, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing too. So basically, Peter says, nope, I'm your man. Lord, come what may, even if I die, I'll never deny you. And we all know the story. Guess what? Peter ends up in the courtroom, uh, the courtyard, I'm sorry, of the high priest. And three times through different agencies, he directly denies that he knew the Lord. And then a cock crowed, and Peter, we, we heard, wept. He wept because, like, he was blown away. How could I do it? I said, Lord, I'll be faithful. And he drops the ball, and he's a broken man. A broken man. But here's the beauty of it. I love this. God knew what was in Peter. God allowed Peter to meet Peter. And that humbled Peter. And for the first time, probably Peter saw exactly how weak he was. But the beautiful thing is God works well with weak people, not strong people, because strong people get in the way of his spirit. But Peter, he's a broken man now. And in his weakness, God says, guess what, Peter? Now You've seen who you are. You know you're weak. You know you need me. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to fill your weakness, Peter, with my strength. And you look at Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 3. He's a new man. He speaks with a supernatural boldness and a supernatural uh, authority. Just amazing. Absolutely amazing. So God allows trials, he allows the devil to tempt us, I believe, to build our faith, to build our character, and I think there's two major lessons we learn in life. We're weak, but the Lord's strong, and you put the two of them together, and Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <clears throat> so that's the deal. Um, be aware of Satan. He's out to knock you out, but God uses the negative ultimately to produce the positive. I love it. I think that's so cool. Second point is we need to trust in the Lord. We need to trust in the Lord. Getting back to First Chronicles, and let's see. I got to find it again. First Chronicles 21. You look at uh, 21, basically, verse 2. So David said to Joab and to the princes of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba, even to Dan. Bring me word that I may know their number. Now, Joab, <clears throat> who's the commander of the army, basically waves a, a red flag and says, David, not a good idea to do this. Look at verse 3. 
So Joab said, may the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why does my Lord seek this thing? And here he is. Why should he be a cause of guilt to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed. So, so what's the big deal? What, what, what was David doing wrong? What was the sin? And I believe if we look at the sin carefully, David wanted to count the soldiers because here's his mindset. The more soldiers, the more fighters on my side, and the more fighters, the more likely we can win any battle that we're going to be facing in the future. So bottom line, What's happening uh, is David's trusting in his ability and in the ability of his men to win the battle. He's trusting in human power, not in God's power. And God says, guess what? You're not trusting me. No, no, no. You're putting your trust in yourself. And he doesn't want that. The, the Lord says, that's not the way we're going to do the, the battle. Um, let me give you two illustrations. If you remember in Exodus 14 and verses 13 and 14, Exodus 14, 13, 14, <clears throat> the people of Israel are freaking out. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're facing the Red Sea. The Egyptians are behind them. They're literally boxed in on either side. And they are going crazy like Moses. You got us in a big, gigantic mess. And the Lord basically tells Moses, it's okay. I got it under control. And here's what the Lord says to Moses. This is Exodus 14, 13. Do not fear. This is what Moses says. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he is accomplishing for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Moses is relaying to the people, guess what? You don't need, you're not the one that has to fight this battle. You put your trust in God and he'll take care of it. And by the way, he did. He opened up the Red Sea for the Israelites. The Egyptians pursued them. The Red Sea came back down on them and they were defeated. God says, trust me, but I think a great illustration of this, uh, even more played out, uh, is in Judges, Judges chapter 7 and verse 2. This is really cool. Uh, the Lord says to Gideon, I want you and the Israelites to, to go out and fight the battle against the Midianites and to wipe them out. But God's very clear here on how this thing's going to happen. This is in Judges 7-2. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you <clears throat> are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. Lest Israel become boastful, saying, my own power is deliver me. So God's saying, hey, 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 uh, Gideon, don't, I don't want you to think it's a, a matter of a number of people here, because if you do, it's going to go to your head. You're going to be boastful, and you're going to be in the same mess that David was in. 
And he goes on, now therefore come proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. So 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 remained. Then the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Therefore it shall be that he of whom I said to you, this one shall go with you, he shall go with you. But every one of whom I said to you, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. And then he does this thing about how they drink the water. And then at the end, he says this, and the Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with 300 men who laughed and will give the Midianites into their hands. So, so the Lord deliberately, deliberately knocks out all these warriors for Israel because he's trying to teach Gideon and the Israelites a lesson, meaning, hey, it's not numbers. No, if, if I am on your side, you're good to go. So basically, the sin of David and the sin we can get to is a lack of trust in the Lord. And let me just give you three verses on trust, and then we'll move on to the last point. So we're told in Proverbs chapter 3, 5, it's a very powerful verse, Proverbs 3, 5, it says this, trust in the Lord with what? All of your heart. Not some of it, the whole deal. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Very clearly, God said, hey, when you come to a fork of a road and you don't know what you're doing, stop, acknowledge me, and say, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need your direction. And then after you acknowledge your need, then trust. The Lord says, then trust me that I'm going to make your path straight. I'll lead you. I'll guide you. The key word there, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And then there's a verse here, Psalm 62, 8. It says, trust in the Lord at all times. All times, good times, bad times, everyday times. Keep our trust on the Lord. But there's a key verse here because if you're like me, there's times I think, Lord, my faith isn't doing too swift. <clears throat> I want a strong faith, Lord but my faith seems to waver. It seems to be weak. Doubts seem to crowd in around me. <clears throat> Lord, how do I get a strong faith? And here's the answer to that. I love this verse. It's Psalm 9, verse 10, key verse in the Bible. And here it is. Those who know thy name will put their trust in you. What that's saying, the Lord's saying, those who know my name, those who know who I am, those that are acquainted with my character, those that trust me intimately, those are the people that are going to have great faith. So I would say this, your faith, my faith is proportional to my intimate knowledge of who God is. The more I know God, the more I'm going to trust God. Let me say it again. The more I know God, I'm not just talking intellectually, I'm, I'm talking in my heart. The more I build a relationship with him, the more I'm going to trust him and believe his promises. And you check it out, even with human beings. 
I trust the people I know the best. I'm not going to trust a stranger, right? I just don't go off the street and put my life in their hands. But I'm going to trust Kathy. She's my wife. I've got to know her. I get to know the way she thinks. I, I get to know the way she feels. Therefore, I put my trust in her or my kids or friends. I can't tell you. This is so central, folks. You could do soaps all day long for the rest of your life and get all the data in your brain, and it's not going to increase your faith or trust. It's, it's learning to read the Bible, not just to read the Bible and do a soap, but to get to know who is the author of the Bible. The whole aim of the Bible is to introduce you to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not in, to give you just intellectual knowledge about them, but that you can build a relationship. That's the whole heart of the Bible, that we can get to know God personally, intimately, in fellowship as we read the Word, as we pray, as we fellowship with each other. But unbelievably important, if you want a strong faith, they get to know God. That's Psalm 9 and verse 10. And the last thing uh, is there are consequences. There are consequences, uh, basically, uh, for not obeying. And if you look at, let's see, chapter 21, verse 7, because David numbered the people. God wasn't a happy camper. It says here, and God was displeased with this thing. So he struck Israel. And David said to God, I have sinned greatly, and that I have done this thing. But now, please take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I've done very foolishly. Uh, and then there's just different options that, that God throws out, okay? Because you did this, this is going to be what happens. So I won't go into all the details on that. But to say that Satan is really good at putting, like, uh, when you go fishing on a, a hook, he's good at putting a worm on there and saying, hey, 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 look, look at how good this is. Oh, this is going to be pleasurable. And he tries to, to, to weave that right before our eyeballs to tempt us to go astray. Uh, and sometimes we bite into the hook, and then we're in trouble. Uh, and it's not a good picture because the Bible is clear. What we sow will reap. It's a law that does not change. It is always the same. So we need to realize there are consequences when we sin. I made reference before. There's a man by the name of Charles Coulson uh, in the Watergate cover-up. And it was done in clandestine, and probably he and others thought, okay, we can get away with it, but it got exposed. And because of his sin, he went literally to jail. Thank God the Lord redeemed it. Colson came to the Lord, and God used it. But there was a consequence for him. I've heard at different times over the years uh, in certain colleges that if a child is caught, not a child, a, a youth, a student is caught cheating on a major exam, they can be expelled from the college. What they sowed, they begin to reap. It's not a good picture. And I think what we need to realize is that when Satan's taking that little hook with the worm on it, we need to think ahead of time, oh, this looks pleasurable. Oh, this looks good. But we need to ask ourselves, hey, if I, if I do that, 
what will the consequences be? And I'm sure there's many people uh, over the centuries that have had an affair and, and they think, well, the grass is greener on the other side and I'm going to go out and I'll play around here. It's going to be fun. And oh, this is going to be great. Uh, but little did they realize that somewhere down the road, they were going to be caught and it destroyed their family. So Satan's there saying, hey, take the affair. This is good. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Well, if they thought ahead of time and said, but what's the consequences? Then very good chance they may not have done the sin if they knew the consequences. So we need to realize as we're beginning to veer off the path of the Lord, we need to ask ourselves the question, you know, if I do this, what could happen to me? And hopefully that'll put the brakes on us. But if we indeed mess up, and David messed up, and he asked for forgiveness, and here's the good news, uh, that God will forgive us if we truly turn from our sin. This is in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says this, if we confess our sins, David did that. God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the good news, and I am with that. Okay, we mess up, we sin, all this on here. But the good news is when we say, Lord, I I confess it. Lord, I'm sorry. I don't want to do this. Then God says, okay, because of what Jesus did on the cross, I'll wipe your sins away and cleanse you as you've never, ever sinned in the being beginning. So ending, if you don't know the Lord in a personal way, if you don't know that your sins are wiped away, because Satan, again, is he's good to condemn us and say, oh, you messed up. You committed the unpardonable sin and God's never going to get you back. That's a lot of, lot of a lie. Because if we are truly sorry for our sins, if we put our faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross, and as we surrender our life to him, the Lord says, okay, there may be consequences, but your guilt can be taken away. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for First Chronicles chapter 21. Father, remind us that we are in a battle with the evil one. And you've made that very clear in Ephesians chapter 6. We are in a battle and that you've given us weapons to defeat the enemy. Uh, so, Lord, we thank you. And we thank you, Lord, even if we are in a battle with the evil one. We know, Lord, you've allowed it because in some way you're trying to purify our faith and make us stronger in our character. So, Lord, even in the trials and tribulations, help us, Lord, as we saw here, to put our trust in you, not in ourselves, not in our wisdom, not in our ability, but Lord, to trust in you, uh, to know, Lord, uh, that you're with us and you're going to see us through. So Lord, I just pray for each of my brothers and sisters. Lord, uh, continue to allow them to shine brightly out into a world that's really dark. And Father, we thank you for the victory you've given us through Jesus through his cross, through his resurrection, through his ascension, and through the power of your Holy Spirit in us. So Lord, just let your blessing be upon us and let your blessing flow through us. And we pray it, Lord, in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. You folks have a great day. Go out there and uh, may the Lord give you an amazing win and growth in the Lord. Amen.